1: Welcome to the Italian American Podcast
2: the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian-Americans learn about and celebrate their brilliant heritage.
1: We're your hosts, Anthony Fasano
2: and Dolores Alfieri Taranto. We're first generation
1: and third generation
2: Italian-Americans from the same small village outside of New York City. As writers and speakers, we've both spent years exploring Italian-American identity. And through this podcast, we continue this exploration with you.
1: In each episode, we talk to dynamic Italian-Americans from athletes to authors to entrepreneurs to find out how their heritage has influenced their success, their values, and their outlook on life.
2: We do it with a lot of heart, a lot of smarts, and a lot of laughs.
1: As the saying goes, there are two types of people, those who are Italian
2: and those who wish they were Italian.
1: Whatever camp you're in, grab an espresso and get your hand gestures ready for this episode of the Italian American Podcast. This is episode number 94. Where we will talk to a tenor for the first time, and, and he was great, Christopher Macchio. I'll tell you about him in a minute. But first, Dolores, how you doing?
2: I had an interesting weekend, actually. Um, this weekend I was with John and Pat, and I was actually invested into the sacred military Constantinian Order of St. George.
1: Wow, that sounds exciting
2: <laughs> it was very <laughs> exciting uh so i was nominated actually without my knowing to to join the order and um for our longtime listeners you'll know that john and pat are very involved in the uh order it's the order of the two sicilies the due sicilie the duet sicilie and um They are the US, John's the US delegate, and Pat's very involved as well. And so they had their investiture ceremony this Saturday in New York City, and I was nominated without my knowing. And the prince thought I was worthy of entering. So this is very exciting. My family. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, me? Little old me. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) my family, we, you know, we had a beautiful mass, uh, in downtown Manhattan. My family came, my husband, of course, and, um, I got to wear the robes that you see in some of the pictures we've posted, right? The yeah, those are cool. Yeah, so now I'm a dame. So when we when we start the show, you're gonna you're gonna have to now call me Dame Dolores. Dame Dolores, how are you? Okay, Dame
1: Dolores, how you doing today?
2: <laughs> so the men get invested as knights, and the women get invested as dames, or you know, dame una dama. So uh, it was <laughs> wonderful. I I got a beautiful big medal with the uh, insign the cross insignia. So I'm I'm feel very honored. I mean, in all seriousness. This order is uh, considered one of the oldest orders of knighthood in the world. It dates back to the, you know, well, way back to Constantine, but it was a part of the, the Bourbons. Of course, Again, we'll link to the show, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and listen to our series on Southern Italian history. But it's very connected to Southern Italian history and culture. And so being a part of this, Is a very big honor for me because it's definitely a deeper connection to my faith and to my and to my heritage. That's awesome. Pretty exciting.
1: (laughs) Do me a favor. uh, Tell the prince I said hi, will you? (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Dame Dolores.
2: (laughs) You had a call last night, right, with our new neighborhood. How'd that go?
1: Yeah, we did. We had uh, another call with our new neighborhood. We do periodic kind of group calls. It's one of the uh, the benefits of being a member of the new neighborhood, which is our uh, private online community, and yesterday's topic was how to obtain Italian citizenship. Of course, a lot of Italian Americans have the opportunity, whether they know it or not, to become um, an Italian citizen and there are some perks to that. And we, one of our members is a lawyer, actually, Mike DeSapio, who's sponsoring this episode, who I'll tell you about a little bit later, um, himself and one of our other members, Mark, led the call. And it was just extremely informative. We had a lot of people on the call. And we also post the video in our private Facebook groups. So if you end up joining the new neighborhood, you can access it and watch this video and people are posting resources there. And so it's uh, it's become a, a great way for us to share the knowledge, Dolores, of all the members um, to, on topics like this.
2: Yes. Yeah, and especially um, this topic is really like a hot topic. I mean, we know this just from listening to our uh, listening to our listeners <laughs> when they write us and also just the action in the new neighborhood. I mean, this topic, uh, getting your Italian citizenship and ancestry research are really two topics that seem to matter a lot to our community.
1: Big time, big yeah. time, and that was a lot of the discussion uh, last night. And just you know, Mike was going over what documents you need and some of the rules of, of different generations and things to be aware of. Um, really informative stuff. I mean, it's a it's a complex topic, but it's not, you know, it's not it doesn't necessarily have to be a difficult process. There's some time associated with it because of you have to wait for calls and things like that. But you know, Mike broke it down really nicely.
2: That's terrific. I really love how this just keeps growing and expanding, you know, the the podcast and the new neighborhood just keeps kind of forming new tentacles. (laughs) And the calls, this is our second one that we've done. They've both been very successful and a lot of people hop on and then even watch the videos, you know, those who couldn't make it that night, watch the videos later on that we post in the neighborhood. And it's just, you know, us keeping our promise our mission to really unite the community no matter where you live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And now, of course, that we have the uh, the Power Hour family as well on board with John Rosell and Pat in the neighborhood as well. There's lots of interesting discussions. And really, honestly, sometimes Dolores and I don't even you know, get in there for a few days. And there's just members are posting amazing things. I have to get it's in there true. on the weekends sometimes and get caught up and just yeah. see what everyone's doing. <laughs> and it's, it's actually very inspiring because one of the reasons we started this group was because, you know, hence the name, the new neighborhood was because there aren't really a lot of Italian physical neighborhoods anymore where everyone lives in the same neighborhood. You go outside, you talk to your, your, your Italian neighbors, et cetera. Which was a big part of how, you know, traditions were passed on and, you know, the culture continued to be spread. And so we created this kind of online with the idea of making it like an online neighborhood. And, you know, at first, I mean, the thought of it is like, you know, you can't really replicate like the actual neighborhood online. But the the thing is, is that we kind of have because – People are meeting each other in person, like posting pictures of them together in person at places, going to meet each other, becoming friendly, becoming family. And so, you know, I guess it's a testament to kind of Italian American roots that, you know, when Italian Americans get together in kind of an, an intimate atmosphere, they can really form these bonds and relationships. And that's certainly what's happening.
2: Absolutely. And then they're interacting on these calls as well. So, really exciting. I mean, it's so, it's so much, it's so rewarding for us to know that we started this three years ago, plus, three plus years ago, um, and it's grown the way it has. It's it's really rewarding. It makes us feel like all of our time and energy um, is totally worth it, worth the investment. Yeah. Uh, so if everybody, if you, if you haven't joined yet, please consider joining. This is everything we just spoke about is what you get. If you join the new neighborhood, you can visit ItalianNeighborhood.com and learn more about it, and uh, also sign up that way. We do charge a membership fee for um, some of the reasons we just discussed, which is we have calls and activities going on, but also because we want everybody who joins to have some skin in the game and be really involved and really want to be there. And I think that that's totally proven itself to be a great model. It's a small fee, helps keep the podcast going, so, you know, it's a win win for everyone.
1: For sure. And and like like we've said in the past, it's not one of these Facebook groups out there, not that there's anything wrong with them, but a hundred thousand people. You don't get to know people by no, name yeah, necessarily. It's very it's much smaller. And I thanked everyone again last night on the call just for their their contributions as a member because it does keep help us keep the podcast going. And so, you know, it's kind of a win win for everybody and, and we're thrilled about it. All right. Now, I'm going to let Dolores introduce our guest for today, and he was dynamite. He was really funny. Dolores, tell our listeners a little bit about him.
2: Yeah, we had a great time speaking with him. Christopher Macchio is a PBS TV star and a well-known tenor. His performances range from full operatic arias to stirring songs from the repertoire of Andrea Bocelli, Luciano Pavarotti, and Mario Lanza to timeless classics in the styles of Frank Sinatra and Michael Buble. His presentation consists of the display of a highly trained voice of beautiful tone and quality, delivered with a charisma and sincerity that never fails to produce a standing ovation. Christopher has performed in a variety of languages and cultural settings for sacred ceremonies, lively receptions, private and public events, and for numerous charities.
1: All right. Thank you, Dame Dolores. Now.
2: <laughs> it'll never get old. <laughs> it'll, it'll never get old.
1: And one thing about Chris that was interesting was when you think of a tenor, I think someone who's very serious, you know, like, oh, gosh, we're talking to a tenor, you mm. know, because you watch them on TV and they're yes. singing and you're like. But he was just like the funniest. Like he was funny. like oh, he was so, very funny. <laughs> oh, he was hysterical. We were laughing and it was a, just a very like, you know, around the kitchen table conversation with him. Just back and forth. So that was something that was – I wasn't expecting, but it was a lot of fun. So before we jump into the interview with Chris, I do want to take a minute to recognize one of our sponsors for this episode, the Law Offices of Michael DeSapio. Have you dreamed of reconnecting with your ancestral homeland by becoming an Italian citizen? Since the change in Italian law has allowed dual citizenship between Italy and the United States, thousands of Italian Americans have done just that. Italian citizenship by descent is granted to those individuals who can prove Italian ancestry, even if through several generations. If you or a family member is interested in pursuing their Italian citizenship, contact the law offices of Michael DiSapio for a free consultation to see if you qualify. They are a full-service law firm based in New Jersey that has served clients throughout the United States in assisting with dual citizenship applications. Mike will work with you and his experienced network of researchers, genealogists, and translators both in Italy and the U.S. to guide you through the process. Don't miss the opportunity to reclaim your right to be an Italian citizen. Contact Mike's office at 908-996-6766 or visit www.desapioesq.com for more information. That's 908-996-6766 and we can't give Mike, you know, enough testament ourselves. I mean, he he ran the call for us in the new neighborhood last night. And he's been a dynamite member and he's just full of really good information on the subject. So with that, let's jump into our interview with tenor Christopher Macchio. All right, now we're excited to welcome PBS TV star and New York tenor Christopher Macchio to the Italian American podcast. Chris, welcome.
0: Thank you so much. Good morning. It's great to be here.
2: Hey, Chris, we're looking forward to speaking with you and I'm glad you're uh, taking some time here. I'm pretty sure you're our first tenor on the show, so this is very exciting.
0: Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yes. Going okay. so downhill love... from here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're
0: starting with the best. Okay, that's great. We're excited.
2: Great. We, we love talking to Italian-Americans from you know, all different fields, obviously, so this is great. We always begin each show by just asking our guests to tell us a little bit about growing up Italian-American.
0: Oh, okay. Well, basically, my parents. We grew up on Long Island, and my family had come originally. My mother's side was from the Bronx, and my father's side was from South Elsmar Park in Queens. And then both sides ended up moving out to the suburbs. You know, once the neighborhoods got a little different, they uh, decided to uh, to move out to the suburbs. So I grew up uh, actually in Holbrook, Long Island. That was basically it was one of those picture perfect suburban, you know, childhoods. Growing up, we, like a lot of families, we never really lost complete touch with our Italian roots. My my great grandparents they did assimilate pretty thoroughly, and so Italian language was discouraged in the house. So my parents actually don't speak any Italian but some of those other important elements that we all can uh, that we all share and that we all connect with like the food and even just the spirit you know that exists uh, between the family members that that has really remained uh, completely intact mm. so and and i think that that more, more than more than the language or you know some of those other elements like that 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 spirit of uh, family and closeness uh, is probably the most important element of all And so I'm very, very fortunate. I'm very fortunate that uh, we had that.
2: And I think that probably resonates with a lot of our listeners, Um, you know, many of who would kind of be in the same situation where, you know, as the generations go on, maybe they're not speaking Italian anymore, et cetera. But but the spirit of their Italian-American heritage is is still very much alive. So do you know what region your great-grandparents came from? Oh,
0: yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm familiar with it in terms of anecdotally from what my parents knew, but then also more recently on the basis of uh, having my DNA analyzed from Ancestry.com. So it turns out that my family, my father's side is from Genoa, or we always were told my father's side was from Genoa, and then my mother's side was Calabrese. And more recently, I looked at the uh, genetic test results and it turns out that on, on one of those sides, I'm not sure which, I'm also Sardinian, which is genetically unique in its own way. So that was just added, you know, every so often ancestry.com, you know, will let you know, oh, we've updated, we've re, re reanalyzed your genetic code and, you know, we've added some more specificity. So, so I'm north and south you know, and, and, and apparently also, uh, West.
2: (laughs) uh... You don't hear that a lot because there's, there's so much distance between Genoa and Calabria. That's a, that's a, I wonder if you know the story of how the the two met by any chance.
0: It's actually, no, it's not that complicated. Like my, um, my father's side being from the North and my mother's side being from the South. Eventually, those two families moved a block away from each other in Farmingdale, Long Island. <laughs> there
2: you go. Shrouded in mystery.
0: Yeah. So, so that's really you know how it how it uh, happened. It was a it was a miracle of geography. So yeah, they my, my parents met, and um, I, I'll tell you one thing that my father's family did have, which a lot of people might uh, remember. Is even in Queens and and also in their house in Farmingdale, they they had the setup where a lot of the parties and socializing happened in the basement, as opposed to the upstairs. Right. So there was definitely actually both houses. They they hung out you know in upstairs too, but a lot of the parties and a lot of the it was very very important to have like a comfortable place in the basement for for the whole functions and parties have that isn't it, social
1: Isn't that space. normal, Chris? It's like they did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no that's very. That's no. How we. that's how oh. we did it too. That's why I'm saying.
2: <laughs> He's like, no,
0: it's not normal. You're freaking me out. Like, I'm like, oh, no. Freaking, like, like, oh, no. That's, that's yeah. all I've ever <laughs> like,
1: known, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and it was even more that way in the city, you know, like in Queens. Forget about it. Like, you know, they have like slides and it's like uh, slides when we, you know, Every once in a while, somebody breaks out the slide carousel and the, the, you know, the the ground floor was like a museum. And the only time anybody ever sat down or did anything that wasn't on a plastic couch, you know, occurred in the basement, you know, (laughs) and they had a full kitchen down there and they could make the sauce down there and all that kind of stuff. You know, two kitchens, one kitchen for show, one kitchen where they actually make the sauce. Exactly. So for sure that's kind makes of how
2: sense. it was makes sense to us although i didn't grow up with the basement but i you know i know that that's a big thing in the in the community anthony yeah. had more oh, I yeah. I mean,
1: my grandparents had the basements so I My mean, my parents but the funny thing is that my wife and i moved into this house we live in now about 12 years ago and we don't have any basement so the family would come over and be you like, You "Gotta Where? dig it out they'd be like where's the basement i'd be like <laughs> oh we don't have a basement they'd be like you gotta di- excuse-
0: listen you gotta you dig, dig it, gotta out, man. it out listen like, to him No, no, my, my, because what happened was when they moved, when my father's family moved out to Long Island, they had a basement, but it wasn't big enough. So they brought in like earth movers and everything. And they like, (laughs) you know, every night after school, my father would have have to help his father dig out (laughs) the other half of the basement. So that it was more practical and useful, you know. Putting a, a new entrance, like a separate. Oh entrance wow!
1: I feel like that's a business. We're Italian American basement builders. Yeah. Give us a call. Well, we'll, yeah, well really you know,
0: sometimes, it, sometimes, you know, digging holes, you know, it comes in handy now and then. You
1: know. Oh. <laughs> 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 and by the way, by the way, Chris, I'm glad you told us you were from New York because um, I'm sure our listeners wouldn't have been able to guess that from. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I know,
1: most
0: you know I have to, <laughs> on your show on your podcast you know i can kind of indulge my my normal uh my normal yeah. accent but when i when i go on things like cnn or something and it's like meant for national consumption you you can't really do that you know what i mean like you're on although, your best behavior so, i know what you mean you, you know i mean i mean scaramucci tried it but uh, you know standing, <laughs> at the, standing at the white house po- podium you know calling on reporters yeah hey, yeah you over here where do you Where do you think my pinky ring's pointing yeah, you you, the broad in the back with the microphone, yeah, so you know oh, that, that, my nuts. it's a different thing, you know, but yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to modulate the accent like, oh yes, hello, uh, you know, Mr. Colt, there, yes. it's a delight to be here, yeah, so yeah, so we can, we can we can all be ourselves. <laughs>
2: it's true we'll probably draw it out of you too a little bit more i find i find you know when it depends who like you're you're around it comes out a little bit more because you're more relaxed oh
0: yeah yeah you code switch you code switch it's all good it's all good so so chris let
1: me ask you this question because i think i you know i would say a lot of kids don't when they're kids they don't say you know i want to grow up and be a singer so i'm interested kind of to hear your story in terms of how really anthony I don't know. I mean, most kids I ask, they want to be a teacher, they want to be a police police. Well, woman. I totally
2: would have told yeah. you I wanted to be a singer. Really? Yeah. Well, I wanted right. to be but like Madonna. Probably I would say this. Maybe, maybe many young people don't say, I want to be an opera singer. A tenor, yeah. Or okay. a tenor. Go. That, that's okay. a uh, continue. So, so anyway.
0: Well,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> my question got derailed there.
0: No, it's okay. <laughs> How the heck
1: did you become a singer? <laughs>
0: Tell me about, well, you know, that's funny. I I really didn't want to be a singer at all. I knew I kind of had a voice, but um, I really, really didn't have the personality for it. I I, I thought that was the furthest thing from my mind, really. In fact, even within the privacy of my own family, I kept my voice a secret. And in my mind, I was just keeping a secret, not to avoid a career in music, but just to avoid being obliged to sing for family parties and holidays. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't want anybody to bother me and, say, and <laughs> cajole me into singing for grandma every Sunday or something. And that was what I was trying to avoid. I was kind of just more academically focused uh, when I was younger. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I had to take chorus to graduate with New York State Regents for me. You had to have an art or music credit under your belt. So I said, okay, I'll just take chorus and I'll melt in with the uh, rest of the ensemble, you know, a hundred kids in the chorus, who's going to know, the, you know, no one will be the wisest, so to speak. And one day the choral director asked each of us to sing one by one individually. And I refused. I was way too scared to sing in front of anybody, even though I knew that, you know, I, I thought I sounded a lot better than the other kids that I was hearing one by one. But nevertheless, I was just way too scared. And so he let me sing at the end of class when everybody had left. And it was at that point when he heard me sing by myself that he sat me down and he told me, listen, Christopher, you know, what exactly is it that you plan to do with your life? And I said, well, I think I'm probably going to be an attorney. And he said, wrong answer, kid. (laughs) Wrong answer. (laughs) And he really impressed upon me that I had a gift and that, you know, I was obliged to share it. And I walked out of that chorus room that day, a changed person. I mean, my, my hope, my stomach, my insides were all, you know, upside down. and And I just, I knew that something important had been, that I had been suppressing, had been brought to my attention. And my life was never the same after that. And that was at 16 years old. And from that point on, it was pretty much uh, my mission to become a successful singer. And it was opera because, actually, I should say, like, it was part of my, right around the same time, maybe a couple, a year or two before that, I had started mimicking the character from Godfather Part Three, where the son of Michael Corleone becomes an opera singer. And I was surprised, uh, but nevertheless hid the fact that I could I could mimic the CD and uh, the recording, the soundtrack where where the opera singer sings uh, pieces from the opera Cavalleria Rusticana. I you know was like wow I could I could sound like this okay whatever I didn't think anything of it until a year or two later when the chorus teacher said what he said and putting those two together I realized that. It was going to be that, that any a lot of people can croon, a lot of people can sing Sinatra, but that opera was something rarefied, something special that I could do that most people could not, and it also appealed to my intellectual sensibility because you know I, I saw it as a more intellectual form or genre of music, and it kind of satisfied that academic. Of me that you know was my comfort zone, so that's really originally why I kind of gravitated more in the operatic direction as a, as a better way to distinguish myself from the rest.
2: So maybe I'm being too literal here, but you, you said that was at 16. This terrific story yeah. with so, but how did you, how did you kind of keep it a secret all those years, A, from everyone? Well, I just- didn't
0: I, I, I? didn't sing when anybody was home. Only so I was going to say, how did you know you could sing.
2: sing? You sang just when you were alone.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. with
1: the choir and said, and I, and with I, the court in the school, right? You said the the teacher he told wasn't me. doing. Well, the,
0: well, no, but this is later. Teacher, yeah, yeah. Well, originally I knew I could sing. I just didn't think it was that special. I thought, okay, so what? I can sound like the record. Big deal. You know, okay, I didn't really okay. think much of it. You Got know, it. And, yeah. and, and I thought even if it's kind of cool, I, I I never ever thought that I would have the personality to actually get on a stage in front of anybody and do it. Got it. So that was a that was a huge shift in my whole personality. Actually,
2: you thought you were kind like of like anybody. You thought you were kind of like anybody who could sing along to like an album and do pretty well.
0: Yeah, I didn't think it was that. I mean, I knew not anybody could do it. I knew, you know, you hear people, you know, in life and, and, you know, sing happy birthday and they can't get it right. Right, right. Oh my God, you know. (laughs) But I just didn't, I just didn't, I just thought it was more that everybody, you know, that I, that most people are bad, not that I'm particularly good, you know. And uh, it it took that chorus teacher kind of putting that in perspective and saying, no, 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 this is not just, something cute and nice this is something real this is Mm -hmm. something that needs to be nurtured and shared with the world and that was a huge like that blew my mind sure
1: so So that was when was that when you decided that that was what you were going to do or did it take a little more time than that
0: basically well after what he said i actually auditioned for a music summer camp and um At his suggestion, and and it was at that point that I guess I got more corroboration from so-called experts, like people at Juilliard, people at like, you know, top music schools Uh. uh, heard me sing, and so once they kind of gave second, third, and fourth opinions on the on it, then I pretty much knew that this is really something serious that I should pursue. But I got to tell you, it didn't just magically shift my personality overnight. I Still was not like this like natural inclined naturally inclined artist that was so into music in terms of like being a musician and being a singer I was still mostly an academic nerd even through music school I went to music school and I'm like these people are all nuts they're all these artsy <laughs> weirdos you know like don't isn't there anything in their life besides music you go in the dorm room and it's just like Music scores everywhere. And I'm like, you know, there's more to life than opera, for God's sake. I hate to tell you people. You know, I mean, but you go to a conservatory and it's like, that's how it is. Everybody's just so into music from the time they were small. You know, Mm. the pianists are even worse. They practice like 13, 14 hours a day. So I, I just thought it was like, you know, everyone was crazy. And I hung out of Columbia across the street from my conservatory where like, quote unquote, normal kids were. (laughs) <laughs> so it took me a while. It really did to, like, um, to fully develop in that regard as far as being able to connect with audiences and, and, and have it be more than just like a parlor trick. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. hey, I could, I'm relatively young and I can sound like Pavarotti. It was almost just like a, a novelty for, ma- for many years, actually. And I liked the artistic aspect of it and the Italian cultural aspect. But it, I, I didn't fully embrace it until I was much, much older and more mature.
2: And what was the reaction of your family? And even like, I'm, I'm thinking of like your buddies in Long Island at oh. the time.
0: Like... <laughs> they were shocked. <laughs> they were really shocked. I mean, uh, but I've, everyone had a, for the most part, a positive supportive reaction. I didn't get bullied as if people had found out as was a really good ballet dancer or a tap mm-hmm. dancer or something. You know, yeah. I might've gotten my butt kicked for that. But uh, opera, people didn't really know what to make of it. I, yeah. I think for a lot of kids, myself included, the closest association to opera was like Bug Bunny cartoons, you know, where he does the uh, Barbara Savelle, la, la, Seville, la, 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 you know, one of those deals, and <laughs> and, and, yeah. and so they they almost just like thought it was almost funny in a way, but but kind of cool because it was recognized as something that was a rare talent. And my family was just shocked. The first time my parents saw me uh, staying by myself, like my father cried. He said, Where oh. does this come from? I had no idea. How did we not know this? Blah, blah, blah. Wow. And um, so I think they saw me in a different way. I had always been seen, um, my, my identity at that point, for me and in and, and the minds of others, was geared around being smart, being in the gifted program at school and being more academically focused. And now all of a sudden I had this completely different dimension that was added to my identity. And you know, over the years I had an opportunity to cultivate that dimension, whereas before I had just cultivated being Mr. Smarty Pants for the first <laughs> half of my life. You sound yeah.
2: like a great kid. I want like three sons like you. It's like, <laughs> 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 like
0: oh please,
2: really oh, yeah. smart no, and like Mom, academic. But then you yep. know this and kid like,
0: and super. Pre- I was very precocious. Like even the way I dressed when I was a kid, I wanted to dress like the dads in the neighborhood. I had like doctors <laughs> on. I swear to God, so like I, I was not a normal kid when it came to that. You know. You, you ever see Manny from, uh, what's that show? Um, with the, uh, modern family, right. Yeah. Sofia Vergara's, and Manny, he's just like, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, fat, you know, thank God. But, but I had that same, like, you know, why is this kid, you know, drinking espresso? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just One of those really like, you know, precocious kids, you know, I had my little, my hair was done like in a little 50s pompadour, you know what That's I mean? That's great. Like, and people were like, What's the deal with this kid? What's the deal with, why the dockers? You know, don't you want to be cool and get dirty? And I was like, No, I don't want to get dirty. You know? So it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was wow. like that. It was like that. And yeah, l- later on, I shifted from dad dockers to being like more metro, like fashion, fashionisto type of thing, you know, but that was later.
2: It's great. I need pictures. I need to see some of these pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: sure. Oh, uh, yeah. She wants evidence of my shame. No, no problem. No problem. I can do that.
1: So, so uh, then,
0: yeah, Chris, nine years old with penny loafers and <laughs> so Yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll get you that right away. <laughs> Send <them> right over.
1: <laughs> uh, so baby. eventually, Chris, you went in on this and you went to school right for training and take us through that
0: yeah so i went from high school to uh instead of going my original plan was to go to princeton and uh, instead i shifted gears and went to music school and uh, i did enjoy the artistic aspect even if i didn't quite completely gel with the rest of the kids and uh but after music school you know which i did okay but they don't teach you the next step. They don't teach you the business side. They're basically prepared, at a conservatory of music. They essentially prepare you for a world that no longer exists. The whole the way the school functions is it is as if it's like the early 1900s, and I'm going to come out of school and start singing opera like on network TV or, or the radio <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you know, yeah, we're going <laughs> to do a live opera on WMBC radio. Yeah, yeah you're going to be a you're gonna be a star, and, and that world doesn't even ex- that that wheel that world doesn't even exist anymore. I'm just, you know, like, so you know, it, I'm pretty much, to my knowledge, the only kid that I went to school with that even still does music at all. Everybody else is like a web designer or a CPA or something. It's it's a sad thing because these these schools they take you know hundreds of thousands of dollars from each student. And they're not necessarily giving them all of the tools. They do do a good job of of imbuing like a sense of artistic interpretation in you and those kinds of things. But more important is when you send these kids out, what are they going to do? And for a lot of kids, they didn't even know what the next step was. So they end up spending another couple of hundred grand on masters and PhDs and singing music. And I don't need to be a doctor of singing music. You know, yeah. I thought that was absurd <laughs> Yeah, in a PhD and standing there and singing an opera. I mean, uh,
2: it's, so, it's a so, way also to just kind of keep do. studying and as opposed to yeah. maybe Having being out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they, they,
0: because they were not prepared for the quote unquote real world, especially, you know, in, in, in classical and that whole thing, it's, it, it, it's, it's, part of the reason why my particular journey has taken me from doing like, you know, hardcore opera to kind of segueing into what they call the classical crossover repertoire, which is the opera light, which is like Andrea Bocelli, that kind of thing. And basically, you know, when you sing the, that Bocelli type of repertoire, people who don't think of themselves as opera lovers or opera aficionados, but they still want to have like a nice Sunday dinner and put on something that's like vaguely cultural. Yeah. So, you know, I'll do (laughs) (laughs) ai I
2: will confess. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know,
0: it's a lot. It's just not as intense. It's more accessible to the ear. It doesn't quite sound so over the top and forward. And, um, but the thing is that once people come to my shows and if they think that what they're getting if if on the bill or on the advertisement it says Bocelli to Broadway, let's say, and they're like, oh, that's cute, oh you know I know Bocelli, okay, I can handle that. I can actually end up when I program sneak in some quote unquote like hardcore opera, and they will be receptive to mm. it because they've already been primed, and I've given them. What they originally came for, which was some of that lighter stuff, and then they're they're more once you've earned their trust, then they're more willing to listen to other things. And in my case, I'm very lucky that I also add an element of humor to it. Over the last few years, I've evolved from giving more formal recital style shows to kind of like connecting with the audience more authentically, more directly in between the pieces. And they enjoy that part just as much, if not more, than the musical component. And and I've done it all without dumbing it down, because that's the important thing. I don't water down what I'm giving them. But at the same time, I, I say, okay, you've met me where I'm at. Now let me meet you where you're at. And I throw in some, you know, I, I whatever, you know, I make fun of whoever it is, like somebody in my orchestra I'll make fun of or <laughs> think of a joke <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and it was they love it. They love the fact that here's this like, quote unquote, classically trained singer. And yet he's he doesn't have a stick up his butt, so to speak. He can uh, he can have fun with it. He doesn't take himself overly seriously. He respects the art, but he also wants to connect with us and have a fun time. And, and if I'm having fun on stage, they have fun in the seat. And everybody just loves it. It's it's so great, so great to be able to facilitate that that energy. You know? It's a
2: refreshing uh, approach. It's it's kind of different than what we're accustomed to. In yeah, the opera world in the classically trained world. It's true. I mean, I have to. I'll, I'm going to confess now because we have you know somebody who performs opera on the show. That there's like a part of me that you know I know our history and and opera used to be. I mean, it still is, but you know, back in the day, you would have immigrants coming from Southern Italy. And, you know, a lot of times they weren't, they weren't allowed into these fancy opera houses in Italy. So then they would come here and they would come to New York and for like, right. what, 10 cents, they could, you know, they'd work all day with their hands and do hard labor. And then they would pay like, you know, they wash up, pay like a quarter, whatever, a dime and go hear opera. And I, I've right. always found this. Amazing, because you know, in today's day and age, it's the elite, quote unquote, that listen to opera and go to opera. It's not the, right. it's not the blue collar working guy.
0: Right, that's true. That is definitely true. I mean, it, there were always rich people going to the opera, but but I think like uh, you know, your average Joe uh, has stopped appreciating that. And you're right. I mean, because they were immigrants, they were in a unique position that they still had like that connection to the old culture and now that's kind of gone away and it's it's sad and i think it's you know it's hard to know exactly like why it is or I, i i have my own ideas about these things i just think that in general the culture has become the 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 our culture in the united states has become more coarse more vulgar it's, it, you know, it, it started out maybe with a good thing, with Elvis shaking his hips, maybe a little rock and roll. But like all those types of dynamics, it has the potential to go too far, get out of control. And I think now with the Kardashianification of our culture, uh, it, it, as I call it, it's just completely off the rails. And the kinds of things we look up to and, and, and worship and follow on social media... It's just the basest, lowest form of culture that, that can possibly exist. And so one of my personal missions is to try and be one of the folks that pushes against that, that pushes back the pendulum the other way, where things that are more refined and sublime and uplifting and that represent uh, a more gentrified value system I think, you know, to push that back into its rightful place at the top of what we value uh, at our core. And I think um, it's important to to add the caveat that I want to do that in a way that doesn't feel and that doesn't represent, quote unquote, turning back the clock, but rather a fresh new approach to... A more sophisticated, more elevated sensibility, something relevant, something substantive that people say, Wow, that's really special and that's beautiful. That represents real beauty to me. So it can't be just completely going back to a hundred years ago and, and try to put that back out there. So there must be another way I feel that I'm trying to find where we can lift things in a in a new original creative direction. And so really that's my mission right now, not just as an artist, but as a man, as an Italian American, as a human being, I'm really committed a hundred percent to having that effect on our culture. I love that.
2: No, I would, you know, I took that all in. I, I really agree with everything you say. And I love that mission. And I, was thinking as you were speaking that that's actually my confession because i mean i consider myself uh, i'm rather artistic very into the arts you know um i have refined tastes not into the kardashians don't really like the loudish society that we live in i think people should be way more decent and civil than they than they are these days etc but i have trouble with opera (laughs) and that was my confession i get it it's like it's like Listen, a, oh, a dirty oh, me, little secret of I'll mine. I feel you. like I should well, be into. I it. will
0: tell you. I will tell <laughs> you. It's partially, it's a lot of it has to do with uh, association. Okay, it's like w- when you hear it, what does it trigger in you? What is? What do you associate with it? What imagery comes to mind? That's one thing, and the other thing is that that's the part that like is on your side of the equation, but then the art form and the people that are engaged in that art form also have an obligation to try to reinvent it in a way that is that resonates that is accessible so mm. to present it and craft it and uh, in a way that that's relevant you know mozart was around in the late 1700s but he wasn't presenting he wasn't writing and presenting work in the same way that guys a hundred years before him were doing so Uh, you know the question is like how do you update this without watering it down and that's like this that's the magic formula that's the secret sauce that i'm looking for that i'm experimenting with and and there are people in that space that kind of try to do different things like you'll see people who are violinists and they trade in their wooden violin for like plexiglass wireless violin and they start like playing metallica but with the violin and Stuff like that and they try to like merge you know and so a lot there are people in the space that are doing certain things but i think that there's a better way to do it and I, and that's really what you know what i'm looking for is to try to make like good writing and good media good movies good music all these things to make them like relevant and i, I don't want to say sexy I don't, I don't i don't i know sex sells but but to, to, to just uh, to, to make it cool, really legitimately cool, you know, and, and relevant and you relevant.
1: Know, this reminds That's... me of, uh, oh, sorry, Chris, this reminds me of uh, yeah. Corey Passatoro, who was on, who's an accordion player. He's won like awards <laughs> and all this stuff. And, I don't know if you remember, Dolores, but remember he was telling us he had, like, his own mission to, like, he was saying to make the accordion yeah, great. Yeah, make the great accordion even. great again. But meaning, yeah. like, you know, a lot of people in dish- <laughs> <laughs> A lot well, of people... It even fits with MAGA. It yeah, it yeah, yeah. Same
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but he was saying, wow. you know, people get this vision of the accordion as, like, this kind of music and going back to the old days. And, you know, he has, like, the... He has, like, this makes... it Can make it sound like an electric guitar. He does all this stuff. Off and he gets people really into it. And and he's he's very young for what he's accomplished. He's really young, actually. And so it reminded me of what you were saying was that he's kind of got this mission that he wants to get this instrument back out there, you know, get a younger crowd into it, kind of change the perception around it. And I think, you know, when you have some kind of mission like that, it, it kind of can really drive you, you know, to...
2: Well, and, yeah. and also, you think of our show, I mean, that's what we're trying to do with this show, Chris, as well we have this idea in our culture where everyone kind of lamenting the old days, you know, when, when we had the basement dinners and when we all lived in the neighborhood, et cetera, but you can't go backwards. It's just not the way things are, you know? So we, we Mm -hmm. do this show because we are trying to find a new way to inspire people to be connected to their Italian heritage. And it, and it can't be like the old days it's gone. So I, 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 I love your mission. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I think I think you're it's, it's, you're an opera singer for me. That's for sure. So I have to come to your shows. <laughs> uh, I'm
0: telling you, it's really, yeah. you know, It's it's really embr- part of it too is embracing that there's a time and a place. Like people assume that okay, well, this guy's an opera singer. Do you really think that I'm driving around doing my daily errands, listening to opera 24 hours a day? You know, forget <laughs> it. You know, it's not happening. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even take it because, you know, I'm a sensitive guy. I'd be bawling my eyes out on the way to the dry cleaner and then bawling my eyes out on the way to like wherever, you know, the gym. I mean, I don't need that. You know, (laughs) like opera, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Opera and classical music, it is substantive stuff. And what it's, all art is designed ultimately, it's a tool, it's a means to an end, it's. It's supposed to articulate and reinforce the essential nature of the human condition. And what I can tell you is uh, that opera singing, it sounds so foreign and different because it's supposed to, because it does Mm -hmm. really, and this is not a subjective, oh, this is my opinion. It does represent the highest, most refined form of singing or the the use of the human voice. It's taking the mechanics that we have in our bodies and leveraging it to the maximum degree, generating the biggest, roundest, most pure, penetrating sound with the physical equipment that we have as human beings. That was really the goal of opera singing. That's what it represents. Now, having said that, because it is so purified and rarefied and, and, and it's, it's too much for every situation. It would be like every, like just like ballet. Ballet is a is the most precise, refined, elegant form of movement, of kinesthetic that we have come up with as human beings. But that doesn't mean that every time we move, we should try to move like a ballerina. right? <laughs> or that every form of dance you know, should, should employ ballet technique, you know, at the club, that's not going to serve the purpose. And so w- when you look at opera as just one more genre that has the potential, the capacity to move you to a place that no other music can move you, but you're, you're taking it in the right amount of doses and, and, and absorbing it in the right moment. And when people don't feel like it's forced on them, when people feel, when it's put in the right context and packaged the right way, and sometimes even combined with other music that is easier for them to get their head around or get their ear around, so to speak, I think it kind of becomes more powerful than it would if you were just kind of exposing someone to it in a disconnected and out of context way. You know, mm, yeah. and, and, and especially with the kids, it's like if you explain to children, what does opera mean or what does ballet mean? It's not just a bunch of like malnourished French girls, you know, <laughs> going around on their tippy toes. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like it, you, you, yeah, you tell them what exactly does it represent? You know what? And and and, and then you can kind of sh- So for example, I go into schools, I get hired by these wealthy school districts. Sometimes I say wealthy because they have the budget for this kind of thing. And they bring me in and they say, okay, we want our young students here to have some kind of exposure to culture, to the opera. We have cultural week coming up, put something together. And so I think it would, it's, even if they want me to, because it's unique, I don't want to go in there and just bang these kids over the head with opera, 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 opera is the best thing since sliced bread. You should from now on only listen to opera, blah, 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 blah. You know, I say, listen, kids, I, I tried to say, well, how is this going to be useful to them? How could they possibly relate to this music? And so I go through the different genres that they are familiar with and I connect the dots. I show them how the development of opera has led to and has enriched and informed some of the genres that they are familiar with. And when they see that connection, that it's not something totally on its own and out of space, but that it's something organically connected to things that are important to them already. I think that makes a big difference and and they don't feel so alienated from it and I can get them from point A to point B to point C and lead them to a place where at least they can have some kind of appreciation and feel like like it's not just something completely alien and foreign. And so, you know, that's again, that's part of my mission is to combine it with other things in such a way that people See it for what it is, which is just part of the full range, the full spectrum of worthwhile art that exists in our culture, and they can appreciate it on that basis.
1: That's great. That's awesome. It's all inspiring, and you know, (laughs) it is. I mean, like you know, like Laura said, when you have that mission, it um, (laughs) it gives your career like another dimension and gives it like another. Yeah, and people.
0: And people really respond. Like look, you, you look at guys like Liberace, right? Now he had when he was young, he was a, a a prodigy. He had the opportunity to go in the direction where he would practice 15 hours a day and become the next Arthur Rubinstein, which is considered one of the best pianists you know who ever lived in the 20th century. But he decided that that he wanted to connect with people. He didn't want to sit in a practice room 24 hours a day and then once a week go into the theater and perform he wanted that direct connection so what he did was he would he would combine like a ragtime or a blues type of piece with a beethoven piece and people got to feel like they experienced a little bit of quote unquote culture while at the same time hearing something that excited them that resonated with them And so, yeah, of course, there's going to be the old lady clutching her pearls going, oh, that's sacrilegious! Oh, how dare you? You know, they don't get it. Those old people, purists, whatever, they don't get it. But for the rest of the people, that's who your audience is. Look, my audience, Christopher Macchio, the tenor, is not Giacomo Puccini, who died 130 years ago. Or my audience is not Mozart, you know, who's dead and buried somewhere in Salzburg, you know, Austria, you know, my audience are the flesh and blood folks who come in and want to experience something, something a little unique, something a little special. And that, you know, and that's really my mission. And so I look to guys that have really found huge success through trying to do that mass appeal. And, and my mission is just to, not to just find huge success for myself and sell out Vegas arenas. That would be great. But I want to do something much bigger, much broader and actually have an effect on, you know, the entire culture. It sounds. I know it's a huge thing and I'm one guy, but um, that's really the scope of what I'm trying to do. Not just music, but, but art, film, literature, magazines taking all those things into the digital age in a futuristic way. And that's why, you know, I'm so glad you guys are doing podcasts because this is a newer, more modern medium for you guys to reach your audience. They don't need to tune in at the exact time of a terrestrial broadcast. They, right. they can forward this material, this content to other folks and consume it, you know, whenever they, you know, have the opportunity. And, you know, that kind of, uh, asynchronous, uh, consumption you know that's that's where society is going and and so i applaud you guys for doing what you're doing in in this uh dynamic format that you've chosen It's very important very important
2: well thank you yeah i mean it is a great way we've we've found over the uh, last three years to connect italian americans across the country and even across the world believe well you know they're not italian americans in that case but italians of People who are right. in other countries of Italian ethnicity, you know, it's a great way to connect <laughs> yeah. people across the People boundaries. with
0: olive oil running through their right? veins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> well, listen, I'm probably biased, but I think, you know, everything you're saying about your mission, I feel like the, we needed a down-to-earth Italian-American kid from New York to kind of bring high art to the public in a, in a sensible and digestible way. So we're rooting for you wow. and definitely definitely an important mission. I really
0: appreciate that. For for sure. I really appreciate that. So, you know, I I think that's a lesson for everybody is to make look, whatever you do in life, serving your own interest, being successful. That's great. That's terrific. But all of our missions, they need to be much, much bigger than ourselves. And that's not just like some hackneyed, you know, cliche talking point. Like it's really the the way it's the path to, to having like the biggest leaving the biggest legacy that you can on this earth, the short time that you have on this earth, you know, it's gotta be about everybody else, not about you. That's the main Mm. thing. That's a huge takeaway.
2: It is.
1: That's great. And I thought you were going to say, what everyone needs to do is get an Italian American from New York.
0: (laughs) Listen, that goes without saying, that I mean, works I'm, too, yeah. I I'm sorry, it... <laughs> I, you know, we need, we now, the next step we need an Italian American president. Okay. Yes. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Amen. So Chris, thank you. We're going to wrap up now. You spent a lot of time with us, but before we let you go, just kind of tell our listeners what's next for you. What are you working on now?
0: Okay. So what I'm working on now is there's something in the works. I can't get too specific, but, uh, I am going to be an artist in residency at a major property in Las Vegas, and I will have a permanent presence uh, or a long-term presence in Las Vegas, which will really serve as a platform for me to connect with audiences from all across the United States and the world that come through Vegas. And uh, really, really build my brand, build my identity, connect with people, and hone my craft. In addition, some of the celebrities that I've been fortunate enough to meet over the years, uh, I've performed with and for the likes of Tony Orlando, uh, Rod Stewart, David Foster, who is the producer of uh, Andrea Bocelli and Josh Groban, you know, many other uh, Reba McIntyre, Brian McKnight many artists, and so now this, uh, this Las Vegas venue will serve as a, as a platform where I can potentially collaborate with a lot of these folks that I've met over the years and really just take the scale, scope, and, and level of uh, what I've been doing to the next level. And so mm-hmm. that is the primary mission and project that is currently in the works, and um, I'm looking forward to being able to share more details about that. You know, as they become available, but it's really, really going to be a great, great thing, and I, I can't wait to share to share it with everybody.
1: That is awesome. Yeah, that's, it sounds that's, great.
2: That's amazing. I <laughs> Please think keep it, us posted. Our
1: next interview will have to be, you know, with you live from from Vegas for sure. That's uh, that's oh, a no, that I like that. Would that. Be <laughs> 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 um, all right. right. Well, once again, Christopher Machio, PBS TV star. New York tenor. Did you
2: say Machio? Did he I? Did. Oh, I,
1: Mac, that's it. You know what? When Rash I
2: when wrong. I see
0: you, it's okay. When I see him, I'm gonna give him the crane kick at the end, just like in, just like at the end of Karate Kid. Okay, Dolores is gonna be like sweep the legs, and I'm gonna be like I'm gonna take you out, brother. That's it. Right. No, it's a uh, Christopher, Christopher Machio. <laughs> PBS
1: TV star and New York tenor and Italian American from New York. Let's just get it in there one more time. That's right. Um <laughs> thank you for spending some time with us on the Italian American podcast. We not only love listen, your singing, which is amazing, and everybody needs to Google Chris and listen to him and, and watch some we'll of the stuff. We'll link to it too. We'll link to stuff. We'll definitely link to it, but also just the mission. And the main thing
0: is Instagram. Also. You know, that's the equity. Instagram. Whenever somebody wants to hire me, it's like the first thing they look at is your social media nowadays. Right. So Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is at chris macchio C H R I S -S M A C C H I O, and uh you know that's that's probably the single most important thing so find me on instagram find me on twitter find me on facebook and and, you know we'll be off to the races together you know this is a mission and i'm glad you guys are a part of it too so thanks for having me on and thanks for doing thanks again for doing what you guys do really means a lot
1: great thanks so much chris wish you the best of luck Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with tenor Christopher Macchio as much as we did. We really enjoyed him. He he was a blast. Before I kick it over to Dolores to take us out of this one, I do want to thank our other sponsor for today's episode, the new film Dogman. Cinema made in Italy and Magnolia Pictures present Dogman, the new film from Matteo Garone, the award-winning director of Gamora. Winner of the Best Actor Award at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival and the European Film Awards. Dogman tells a story of vengeance where only the strong will survive. Marcello is a slight, mild-mannered man who divides his days between working at his modest dog grooming salon and being coerced into the petty criminal schemes of the local bully, Simancino, an ex-boxer who terrorizes the neighborhood. When Simancino's abuse finally brings Marcello to a breaking point – He decides to stand up for his own dignity through an act of vengeance with unintended consequences. An official selection of the Cannes, Telluride, and Toronto Film Festivals and the winner of nine David di Donatello Awards. The Italian Oscars, including the best picture, director, screenplay, and actor, The Guardian calls Dogman a movie with an incomparable bite and strength. Now playing in select cities, visit dogmanthemovie.com to watch the trailer and order tickets. Dolores?
2: Okay, I have a lovely iTunes review here that I want to share with everyone. This is from Lelez Princess. It's a five star review. Everything I ever wanted in a podcast. I am of African American and Italian ethnicity, and growing up and hearing all the stories of how my mother was raised. And then finding this podcast when I started learning Italian really taught me so much about Italian culture. I have an even greater love for my Italian ancestors after discovering this podcast last year. Dolores is a lively host and is so passionate, it makes the podcast worthwhile. I'm planning a trip to Italy for next summer and plan to visit my ancestral town of Prato La Serra Avellino. I want you guys to know it's all because of you that I've really become more immersed in my family's history. Thank you. P.S. My favorite episodes are all of the ones with guests from the food industry and, of course, Mallory. Her connection to her ancestry through spirituality is definitely something to look into. Thank you once again. Wonderful. Wow. Thank you That's so great. much. And
1: I tell you what, Mallory's a fan favorite.
2: Definitely possibly she's, a number one fan favorite yes yeah, she I mean,
1: she is we constantly get people telling us about her episodes and that they resonated with them it's it's amazing
2: 100 percent whatever, whatever whatever but what she's doing really touches people so we'll also link to some of the shows Mallory has been on in the past so that uh, those of you who haven't heard her can uh, can check it out. All right. So signing off here. Remember, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us by just searching Italian American podcast. Arrivederci.